Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest is a master at pitching himself to the media. And we bonded through our love of storytelling. Zane Landon, congratulations on landing the Better Call Daddy show and welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. So one thing I would love to talk to you about is just the way that you pitch yourself, because how has that evolved and developed and gotten better? What was it like in the beginning? Talk to me a little bit about that journey. All right. So I was a communication student recently. So I just graduated from Cal Pomona, as you know, with a degree in public relations and communication, I never pitched myself for the longest time. And I think a lot of people don't, especially publicists who have powerful stories. It's easier to pitch other people than yourself. But I learned this was the first time I pitched myself because I I came to the conclusion I had a story I wanted to tell. It had nothing to do with the pitch I sent you. First pitch I ever really sent about myself was about internships because I have done over 15. Not all the internships are 20, 30 hours a week. They're very flexible ones. So I I was still granted the opportunity to do several internships, volunteer opportunities, some paid. And I thought, I'm about to graduate, but I want to speak on internships because I get them. And I've, I've worked in so many different types of internships. I really think I can bring value to that. So I decided to write a pitch about all the internships I've done. Like I created a compelling headline with about the internships. Like at NASA, EPA, General Motors, all the places I've been. And then I just pitched myself. And then I was looking for Forbes, for Entrepreneur. I was not pitching myself to smaller shows or smaller publications. I was going for big publications, which I think is really risky, especially at the beginning. So I literally just typed in internships on Google and I put Forbes. And I saw all the editors that were writing about internships. And I discovered like three of them. I pitched myself to three of them. I got no response from one a flat out no from one and then one that said we would be interested in collaborating and I was like okay <laughs> I was a little and I yeah I was a little I was a little nervous because I have been I have received press before but like sometimes there was never a follow-up so like sometimes you never know and, and they may change their minds so I didn't want to get overexcited <laughs> but yeah they decided to do the interview I didn't actually meet with the writer but they sent me questions And I took my time answering every question. There was like 10 questions. Each one had, I think I put like almost two paragraphs per question. And I was like, more content is better than less. So they have a lot to work with. And then he he wrote it for like, was it internship month or something, which is like April or internship week, something like that. But it did come out in April of 2022. That was like the first time I ever pitched myself, which was, like I said, super exciting because I really had no idea what I was doing. I learned how to pitch basically through like my PR class. But we just learned like the very basics of pitching. So I was like, I'm going to somehow translate this knowledge that I know from the class for me. And then I thought, this actually worked. What else can I do? What else can I leverage? And so I decided to leverage my mental health story, my disability rights journey. Now I'm adding in other things because at the time I wasn't really writing for blogs. Now I write for several blogs. So I include all that stuff. So it has evolved from all the things that I've been involved in and and just kind of knowing my value and that. I can pitch myself. A lot of people don't because I think a lot of people, it's not that they don't see the value. They just don't think about it. But all the opportunities that I, not all, but (laughs) a lot of opportunities that I have had is just because I asked. So I think like the biggest, the biggest takeaway from this is like just knowing to ask. And there's nothing wrong with asking. The worst they can tell you is no. And then you just move on. If you pitch yourself for a podcast or, or a magazine, like I said, the worst they can say is no, or you don't hear back. There's thousands of magazines that you can pitch yourself for. So I would say keep working on it. But yeah, since then, (laughs) and I know we may talk about that mental health youth action forum, but that also helped me a lot because I always include that in my pitch because 
it's one of the most important things that's happened to me. And so since then, since the forum, since like the past six months, I have spoken on and even featured on maybe 60 platforms, which is really exciting. Yeah. So it's been really, it's been really exciting just pitching myself wherever I can go. I also go on Podmatch, which is it pairs you up with podcasts that you can find. That's really helpful. And also just finding people that are like you. So like, let's say there's a influencer or a thought leader that really aligns with your message, follow them closely, see where they're landing places. I follow a person I just came across recently because I'm going to be on another podcast about like neurodiversity and like concentrating and stuff like that. And so I looked at the podcast and I saw his episode and I was like, and I looked at his like profile and like, he's been on over 200 podcasts. He's been on a lot and he has a really cool story. I was looking at his podcast. I'm like, I can speak on some of this stuff. He talks about grief and he talks about you know, resiliency. I'm like, that's in general, a lot, of stuff, a lot of people can talk about that stuff. So like, I just, I kind of like went through all of his podcasts, not all of them, because it was a lot. I pitched myself for like 40 of them. And like, I heard back from like eight of them, you know, or like 10 of them, but yeah. So that's something to do too. Like, you know, look closely for people who are aligned with your message and see where they're getting pressed. And then there you can, there you go. That's a way of finding out about different platforms you can pitch yourself to. Wow. I love all of what you just said. And I think too, it's really unique that you wrote paragraphs of a response. And I think that too could be a differentiator. Like that could set you apart because when people are pitching themselves, I have found they don't take up a lot of space, right? They just do a quick pitch or they don't give enough information. And mm-hmm. so I think showing that you're really taking the time to think deeply about the questions might set you apart. What do you think about that? Have you added to your pitch? Oh yeah. <laughs> Every time I have a an accomplishment I want to add, I do add it to my pitch. And I, I want to make sure that I'm not going too far and it's not too long because there is actually some sort of strategy in making it short. You don't want it to be under 100 words and you don't want it to be over 400. That is like the general consensus of how you how long you really want it. I think it's 120 words, like 460, something like that. But you don't want it more than that or less than that. It's, it's, if it's too short, it's not enough. If it's too long, it's too much. Especially since I think I'm. it depends on the podcast. I don't know if podcasts get a lot of pitch, pitches, but you know editors at Washington Post, Forbes, they'd be getting like hundreds of pitches a day. So that's why I think that's why they may be quick is because they know that journalists do not have a lot of time to review every single pitch. And the most important part of the pitch, of course, is the headline, because that's the first thing the journalists will see in their inbox, right? So he's got to make it as like interesting as possible. I mean, I, for me, I when I'm pitching myself to podcasts, I just put podcast guest. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm if I'm pitching to like a magazine that has like a lot of that's really popular, that's when you want to do that because you you have to guess that they're getting like hundreds a day. Yeah. Can you tell me like what has worked in pitching some of the major press? What headline do you use? What headline I use? I usually use was something like Zayland is trans. I will put my name is transforming men's health conversations with positive storytelling, something like that. Something that really, really condenses your story to the most important aspect, which I think is what I'm all about. It's like completely talk. It completely speaks on my passion for mental health as well as storytelling. I think that's the bulk of what you need to know. The first thing, then you can see all the other information, but then it's still under that theme because all the stuff I do is under that, you know? Okay, cool. Let's talk about the mental health form. Talk to me about how that started and has evolved. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I first discovered the Mental Health Youth Action Forum in November or October when they first talked, when they first released that this was actually going to be a real event. I'd never seen anything like this. I mean, I think it's great that, you know, the White House, MTV and all these media, media channels or media companies were like taking the time to actually address this at this scale, like I've never seen before. And there's been, you know, push for mental health, but I think the youth mental health aspect is what I thought was unique here. Because I've seen a lot about mental health, but specifically, how do we leverage young voices? I like that there is care for that. You know, and I was involved in Active Minds, which is a a prominent mental health organization. They have chapters across the country. So I was involved in the chapter at my university. So I followed them and they were, you know, involved in the forum. It was mostly hosts. It was hosted by MTV at the White House, but they also involved several mental health nonprofits like Born This Way Foundation, National Alliance on Mental Illness, some of the biggest ones. So I learned about it through Active Minds. And honestly, <laughs> when I first saw it posted on Active Minds, I, w- I was seeing it everywhere. So I was eventually going to find out about it because I put myself in mental health spaces to know that, to see that these opportunities exist. 
So I felt ambitious. I convinced myself that it probably wasn't going to happen because it was, it just, I knew it was going to be competitive. I knew it was going to be hard to get, but you know, I, I always tell people, take yourself away from the situation and just apply, you know, do not get yourself mixed up in your baggage and <laughs> in your insecurity. Cause we do, I think it's so easy to get to succumb to this is impossible. I'm not good enough. Again, take yourself away from that and just apply, give it your all still. It doesn't matter. You never know what could happen. So I decided to apply and the application was very brief. They didn't ask a lot of information to be honest with you. It was a couple of questions, some contact information. And then like, you know, a couple months in, I kind of forgot about it or not necessarily forgot. I just like I said, since I convinced myself I wasn't going to get it, I kind of believed that. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to worry about it. I don't want to be upset. Then I, <laughs> it was like a January, I think. Was it January or like late December or something? And I was just kind of going through my inbox like late at night. And then I saw my spam that they sent me an email saying, oh, congratulations, you're a semifinalist. And so I was like, uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for check your spam. <laughs> if you're gonna, imagine missing that. I would be I would be so upset if I, if I did not check my spam and I didn't submit another application. That would be really upsetting. So, I, I you know, they asked for another application. So I sent in another one. And then around February, they informed me that I was selected. And then the moment, and it was a regular day. It was a regular, it was a regular Wednesday. I was doing my internship. I was going to classes. And then I got the email that was like, congratulations, you've been accepted. And I was just like, wait, let me just, <laughs> let me try and comprehend what is going on. Because I feel like I hear people say that, like when they get something big, it just kind of goes over their head. Like, huh? Like did that really just happened or no, no way. And it doesn't, it didn't hit me till later. I mean, right when I got it, I was like so excited. But then, like, I think you have to contemplate and really think about it in the scope of everything. And then later, I was like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that this is going to be happening. But it, it was so exciting. And then, you know, my family was really proud. And so at the whole forum, before we actually went in May in person at the White House, we had, like, an online boot camp that we did, like, every other week. So we got to meet the, we got to meet the other participants. We connected with White House professionals people from MTV, all of the nonprofits were there. So usually these means were like 80 people or 70 or 60, so big. And there was like just people you know, all over the country that, you know, address mental health who are professionals, who are experts, who are policy writers, so many different angles that we can take in this, the mental health advocacy world. And part of the forum was we also had to come up with our own ideas. We had to come up with a, a media idea of how to address mental health. So that was part of it too. So we were split off into groups to address that. So then we did that for, you know, months. And then we finally got to the actual forum. And that was where it was really exciting. You know, like it was like Monday through Wednesday. And then Monday we didn't do anything because like that was our day to kind of <laughs> kind of relax before Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Tuesday was all about kind of practicing our pitches and like just going through the rundown of what the event is going to look like on Wednesday. And then Tuesday night there was a Pinterest dinner though. So Pinterest hosted a dinner at the Smithsonian and it was uh it was a lot of people. I wasn't expecting that. When they said we're having dinner with Pinterest, I thought, oh, we're just going to like have dinner and maybe connect with some of their executives. No, they treated it like this was kind of like a, it wasn't a red carpet event, but they treated it like it was. So like people were kind of like wearing glamorous clothes. I was definitely underdressed, <laughs> but I was still wearing the mental health shirt that they gave us. So I was happy about that. But I had no idea it was going to be that kind of an event. And they said it looked fine. But that was really cool to see people openly talking about mental health because they had like you know, different speakers from the forum as well as Pinterest, like talk about mental health and their goals to address it. So it was refreshing to see, you know, so many people in the space who are passionate about this whole thing. And then Wednesday came along and, you know, we got ready. And then in the morning we drove to the White House <laughs> and then we just, we walked through it. And again, you're just, it's hard to comprehend it. It's really weird. You're like, you're actually here and it's just, it's happening. That's why I tell people like, try to stay in the present as much as you can. Because like you have these moments that are in the present. Don't think about anything else. Try to be present because it's going to end quickly. You know what I mean? So like, and people say all the time, like, oh, I'm going to go to a retreat or we're going to go to this event. And it ends like that. Because I feel like we might get so caught up that we forget that we're supposed to, we should stay in the present to appreciate the moments. Because like I said, like time moves so fast. It's nice if we stay in the present. So that's try to do that you know and it's hard though because there's so many moving things happening it was just overwhelming to see like being in the white house not even for a tour but invited exclusively it was just phenomenal and then you know they kind of gave us a little tour of how the event's going to be and then you know we kind of waited in the room and that was exciting because 
you know, part of it was before the forum started, we would take a picture individually with Dr. Biden, the first lady, Selena Gomez, who was like the keynote speaker, and then Dr. Murthy, the Surgeon General. So I have a picture where I'm between the three of them. And then, you know, then we got lined up, then we actually went to the event. <laughs> and then we went inside and then like people were clapping and there was a lot of cameras. And I was like, oh my gosh, this will be the first time and only time I'm gonna experience paparazzi. <laughs> I was like, I'm expecting more here. I'm expecting people to grab my jacket or something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it was pretty fun. And then, you know, the forum happened. And again, it's like, it's happening and you're sitting there and it's being broadcasted. I mean, people from my family were like, I was watching like this news channel and I see Zayn on TV. And I was like, oh, like no, my goodness. Like I, I, I had no idea how much it was going to be broadcasted. So it was just great to see, you know, young people paving the way and talking about, you know, stuff about mental health, intersectional mental health, you know, mental health from, you know, a span of different identities. That's why I loved about the forum. Very diverse individuals with stories of eating disorders and suicide and also, or being indigenous. There were, you know, there was a couple of people there that, you know, identified as indigenous, which indigenous mental health is not something I see a lot. And so I loved hearing the their perspectives and just what everyone brought to the table. And we all brought something pretty unique, which I thought was really cool. And then after the forum, we went to actually do our pitches, which was really exciting because I said like Pinterest was there, Spotify was there, like the big media companies were there. So really cool opportunity. Then it ended. <laughs> like I said, it just kind of abruptly ended. And then the opportunities come from that forum all the time. I mean, Pinterest donated $5,500 to each of us as well as Zoom. So at the end of the forum, the surprise was Zoom donated 5,500. And then it was like, was it like September, October? And then MTV was like, yeah, we Pinterest is donating like a donation to all. And it's like, even after like months out of the forum, we're still seeing opportunities. And it's really exciting to be engaged with this organization, this group and all of these nonprofits. And it's important to leverage that network because a lot of the thing, a lot of opportunities again, I actually gave a presentation to the forum participants because we do a monthly chat about how to pitch yourself. Because I see that a lot of these, a lot of them have really powerful stories, but they could be on so many more shows, so many more platforms. Again, it's because people don't know how to pitch themselves or they, it may be like uncomfortable how to do it. Or sometimes they just don't know how to ask. But like for the most part, if you ask, you you probably will receive. And again, you might get those rejections, but I don't know. Speaking on going to the White House is a pretty unique opportunity that I think a lot of people would want to share. So that's why I tell leverage your network, leverage your your story because it's it's powerful. That's a nutshell. I mean, it was a long, long story, but that was the forum. Wow. What an incredible opportunity. I am curious about how the language has changed around mental health and disability in your lifetime. In my lifetime? I mean, for me, I think... I think uh, growing up with mental health and disability, I didn't really comprehend them as such. So I never really heard that. And I wasn't really open about it. So no one really openly criticized it. But I feel like you you hear a lot of the language that people use, even like the term mental illness is not something people prefer to use anymore. It's like mental health condition, because I guess mental illness kind of has a kind of a negative stereotype associated with it, which I can understand. But again, it's everyone's preference. So if your personal preference is to say, I have a mental illness, then we have we sh we respect that. But even like disability, there's like, you know, you say people with disabilities, persons with disabilities, instead of saying someone is disabled. And it's interesting. Like, I actually read something where it seemed like I remember reading like in England or like Europe, disabled is actually more common than person with disability. Here in America, it's more like we say persons with disability or people with disability. So again, different cultures are going to view disability very differently in mental health because like I feel like since these communities are so nuanced and so different, and also they just haven't been addressed for a long time. Like some countries, of course, are, you know, very far in progress. Some aren't. And so you have different terminologies. So it is really interesting. And there's always the debate where instead of saying disability, you want to say like, like this person thinks differently. This person is, has different abilities. They're able different. So those are some words, but I think that disability advocates are trying to get away from that. Again, if your personal preference is that, that's your preference. But I think as a whole, like, disability discourse is trying to get rid of that because when you say that you kind of erase the disability term if that makes sense so if you say oh I don't have a learning disability I just think differently while that may be true there's power in having a disability we don't want to continue the stigma of disability and I think doing that not necessarily creates harm but it's, it furthers the stigmatization that disability is wrong and thinking differently is the better term when I think you can say you think differently, but I actually have a disability and that's okay. Nothing's wrong with that. 
I just think differently. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to erase the term disability because I think it's important. And for the longest time, people with disabilities have had to not use that term or not identify that way if they can. That's why, you know, a lot of people with non-apparent disabilities where you can't see it, they remain quiet about it because they have that opportunity to do so. And, you know, immediately when you just go to have a disability, you might be viewed very negatively. You might be discriminated against. You may be fired. There's a lot of risk in disclosing. And even like in places where disability is, even like companies that embrace disability, even their disclosure rates are still very low, like one to 3%. That's very low. And companies can do as much as they can, but it's a cultural aspect we have to shift to. And I think doing that is just be more aware about disability, talking openly about it, and also being positive, receptive of disabilities, not avoiding, not being negative, as well as putting more people with disabilities on the screen, behind the screen, making sure that they have a voice with these media companies and that we tell their stories, as well as having people with disabilities on board of directors, on leadership positions. So it's not them having to advocate to a board. They're on the board and they can make a change through that. So there's a lot of different things. Those are just ones I'm thinking of the top of my head to kind of make sure that people with disabilities have an equal equal voice. I love that. I'm also curious how your parents were able to advocate for you or mm-hmm. how they responded? I mean, yes. I mean, I struggled in school. So of course it was very frustrating for my parents. I had a, you know, I had trouble focusing, concentrating. Luckily my mom was in the school system. So she knew who to talk to. But again, not every not every parent has that fortunate advantage. But I will say with parents, you just have to fight for your kid. Talk to the right people, figure out who to talk to. There will be people that will help you. And it is unfortunate you have to do that, but it is kind of the reality for a lot of people. I mean, there are people I know that have disabilities that have found out that, that they have a disability in their 20s because they weren't tested in school. They didn't want to test students. And like parents have to fight for that to get their kids accommodation. So I'm not a parent, so I don't know what the process is like. I would not give up on that because, you know, if your student student or your kid has a disability, they're navigating the school system. We know the school system is designed. I, I'm not going to say for, yeah, no, I will. Yeah, you know, the school system is designed for specific students. I talked to someone about this recently that more people are trying to create an, an inclusive, accessible classroom. But for the longest time, it was like we only taught certain kids that did a certain, that did well. You know, like even even going outside or doing certain things. That's not what people did, but that could help students feel more relaxed, especially people who are neurodiverse. There's a lot of different things to transform the classroom, but I think that's important for students to feel comfortable, you know, and and learn the best that they can. Yeah, I really love that. I wish that schools could create more healthy spaces and Mm -hmm. and really think about children holistically so that they can perform their best. Do you have any ideas on how we can bring up those challenges that we're facing? I mean, yeah, I mean, I really wish that there was, I mean, again, I'm not an educator, so I don't know what they do, but having, you know, having more conversations about how to support neurodiverse students or students with disabilities, what are some methods that we can do? I mean, starting the classroom with a mental health check-in or even starting a classroom with a journaling activity, place where students can be mindful and just speak to their emotions, or how about you have class or or even having a break, let's say like, let's have a five minute break outside, then we can come back, especially when the classroom can become stressful. These are ideas that I have. And again, I'm not an educator, so I don't know the best. I don't know developmental psychology or child psychology, so I don't know what works best, but I would love to see more changes like that happen where it's like a flexible classroom environment. And there's so many different ways that kids can be engaged to learn the best that they can. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Can you talk a little bit about when you discovered your mm-hmm. challenges and how you've been able to overcome them somewhat? I think what helped was, you know, being on a 504 plan, which was basically like a, a disability plan, you know, like kind of like a, um, what they call it, kind of like being in special ed. And I think that that helped a lot because I was able to get reduced homework as well as get like one-on-one tutoring from like an actual person that worked there. Things like that help. That's what I mean when parents fight for your students or your kids to get accommodations because it is very helpful. And it's unfortunate that there are some attitudinal barriers because some people believe that those students are just getting handouts. They're not getting handouts. They're just getting these opportunities so that they can be on the same level with their peers because they they think differently or again, they work differently and it just helps. It helped me a lot, you know, because it was overwhelming. So that's what I would say. And I really, interesting enough, I didn't really discover my disability until I was an advocate because I was never really informed I had a disability. I kind of just was told, this is what I'm doing. You know, I need I need additional help. 
so I'm going to get this tutoring. I'm going to get this, you know, these accommodations. But I wasn't told it was because I had some sort of disability, you know. So it wasn't until I became like an advocate for mental health in university where I was like, I was learning about disabilities. And I was like, I really resonate with like the learning disability community and like people who have trouble concentrating and connecting and socializing. I was like, I've had these problems. I've had these challenges. And it felt like I kind of found a place where I could resonate with that because I never understood why it was like that, like why I experienced that or there was no one else like me, right? I think it would have helped if I knew about my disability, but I understand why you're not told because of this, again, the stigma and the shame that is that comes with it. It was enlightening when I, when I kind of found out because, you know, when I was learning more about disability, I kind of asked my parents about that because I was like, I was on 504 and they kind of told me about the issues I had and the help and what it did for me. So yeah, it was interesting that I learned after because some people definitely know they have a disability before, but some people don't realize it till a lot later. So for me, it was nice to know when I learned and I understand that getting like the diagnosis or knowing that you have something, for some it's not empowering, for some it makes them feel worse. But for me, it made me feel better because it explained things that I had no idea before. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know why I thought like this. I didn't know why I had trouble in school so much. Now I know. It wasn't me. It was like, it's because I have this disability and it, it impacted how I learned and everything. But I, I know people that, you know, who maybe who maybe diagnosed with something and it doesn't help. Not that it doesn't help, but it makes them feel worse. But for me, it, would, it felt empowering to know that there was more going on and there are other people like me out there, you know? What were you diagnosed with? I know that I was diagnosed with depression and that kind of impacted that too. They said some learning disability. They didn't tell me what though. Did teachers ever say anything to you when you were younger? No. Nothing. No, no, not at all. They didn't say anything like that. Nope. I don't think it's their place to, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. And did you ever try to communicate with your parents about things not feeling right? I mean, they saw I wasn't doing well. And of course my, you know, my teachers notice and they tell parents. And so my parents did know, but yeah, it was frustrating. My, my mom helped me a lot with like homework and stuff. So I always knew that I had trouble with doing homework and concentrating and it was, but it felt good though, when I actually was able to get that support and those accommodations, because I actually felt like, wow, this is, this helps so much. You know what I mean? And also like, what would you tell parents? Like, what did you need as a kid? What did you want to hear or need? What did I need? I mean, the additional support, less homework. And even I saw like a counselor every week where we just kind of talked about emotions and played games and stuff. Stuff like that was really helpful. And just having this open space to talk about like our struggles or what we're feeling so we can work through it better, if that makes sense. Did you ever feel like something was wrong with you by having oh, yeah. to go to a counselor? And like, how do you oh, work through mm -hmm. that? I know I didn't. Honestly, just because I enjoyed it so much. I actually enjoyed going every week to just play games and talk to someone and someone who was very kind to me and felt like I could be myself. So I never questioned if there was anything wrong with me. I always questioned like, am I the only one doing this? And why is that? But honestly, I kind of ignored it because I really did enjoy doing it. How has your disability given you like a superpower? What good has come from it? <laughs> I think what's, what good has come from it is, you know, I've learned, I would say when it comes to like mental health, I feel like, I feel like I'm more in tune with my emotions. So since I've learned how to address them, I feel like I'm more mindful of people's experiences of what they've gone through. I can be more empathetic. I think that's the superpower with mental health and that's disability as well. But my disability with attention, you know, as I've, I've just learned my boundaries and what I can handle. And I've been able to communicate that. I think that's so important than not knowing how to do that. So, you know, if I'm ever overwhelmed, I'm like, I need to communicate that. That is the most important thing. And for me, I've learned ways that I can concentrate better to limit distractions and also, you know, make sure I have a planner, make sure I have all this stuff, make sure I always have agendas, everything I can to make sure that I stay organized. That's what's helped is even though it is disability, I've learned ways to address it. I hope that makes sense. I love that. So tell me about the magazine that you created. Oh, so Positive Vibes Magazine started in May of 2020. I wanted to create a digital platform that was addressing, you know, positive mental health, holistic mental health from an angle of storytelling. Because again, I'm all about storytelling and mental health, those two aspects and disability. But, you know, I saw that COVID really was like a rebirth in a way, not like coming from starting COVID to out of it, I think it has been like a rebirth, almost like a phoenix. And that's why you have so many people, in my opinion, that lost their purpose during the pandemic, but they were able to reignite it 
the amount of people that I know that started podcasts, that started businesses, that have these creative ventures from the pandemic, I think sometimes, because a lot of people were like, I need to stay on my path. How about you don't stay on your path? It's nice to stay on it, but you know what? If one day you don't find yourself on that path, I think you need to embrace that moment because I feel like the moments where you don't know what to do or you're stuck, I feel like that's when people get really creative. And I feel like that, and not everyone, you know, not everyone, there are definitely people that didn't start businesses and didn't thrive during the pandemic. And I, you know, I feel, I feel empathy towards them because at times I was frustrated. So I do get it. And this, of course it doesn't apply to everyone, but gosh, the inspiration I saw during the pandemic. So I think sometimes it's good to not have a purpose or, you know, to let yourself feel down and you don't always have to have that purpose because your purpose changes all the time. You know, I hear a lot of people say, how do you find your purpose? And I'm like, well, there's millions of purposes. I don't think that there's one purpose that you're going for. If it is, well, good for you. You're going for that one purpose. But understand, just because you find that purpose doesn't mean it's not going to go in other directions one day. So again, don't limit yourself to what your your purpose is. Like I, I feel like in this moment, you have a purpose, right? But like, again, don't limit yourself to what other purposes you might find yourself in. Especially when you start something like a business or a podcast, you're going to go in so many different directions. Like your life will change. And so don't stay stuck as being a podcaster. Like, you know, whatever opportunities come your way, try and go for it. So for me, when I, st I started the magazine, I really wanted to address mainstream media's lack of storytelling and mental health because that was what really inspired me the most. And so we kind of like started off the digital magazine with just me and my friend and we were, we were going to plan on writing blog posts and we wanted to address mental health from different angles. So we were posting things about like crystal healing <laughs> and different things, different modalities to address mental health that we don't see a lot. Because again, I think sometimes the focus is on medication, which is very important for certain people. And I mean, certain people as those people who benefit from it. You know, like I, I'm saying, like, it's a great thing, but for some, it doesn't work for them. You know, and so we have to look at holistically, how do we address all of mental health, like the medicinal side, the environmental side, the social side, there's a lot of things that, you know, attribute to mental health, not just not just biological or genetic. You know, there's a lot of different things that attribute to it. So I love the idea of addressing holistic mental health through all different ways of healing. And yeah, so that's what we were doing. And then we had someone who actually reached out to us who said, I want to share my story. And we were like, how do we like, how do we go about this? <laughs> so I had my friend interview him and actually write out, you know, a very short story about him. And he loved it. And he shared it. And then after we did that, we we're like, let's let's shift our focus. You know, again, having a purpose. It felt like that was the purpose, but again, the purpose changed to let's focus on featuring real people and real stories, everyday conversations about mental health. And I think people will be surprised to see that we're chatting with people, who, everyday people who experience homelessness, loss, suicide, assault. And again, everyday people, what does that tell you? It tells you that this is a widespread issue that happens so much that ordinary people experience it. And again, we we forget that, especially since how the media portrays mental health, they portray it as this extreme, you know, version of mental health as, or they'll say people who have mental health conditions are violent and horrible. And it's like, no, <laughs> you know, studies show that people with mental health conditions aren't the violent ones. A lot of times violence is done onto them more than you would say. So there's a lot of misconceptions that the media does not address. That's what I learned though. And I learned that, you know, people were interested in positive storytelling. I feel like for the longest time we told negative stories, but I love telling like authentic, truthful stories of people's real journeys. And that means not limiting their experience at all. So if they want to talk about the reality of being sexually assaulted, we'll write about it because it's important. And a lot of people will ask, how in the world is sexual assault or trauma positive vibes? Because again, I think the positive vibes only, <laughs> like I see positive vibes only, I think that's toxic positivity. And I think that it's all about, oh, just try to be happy. Just try to be positive. Well, I think what people forget though, is to reach this level of positivity. Because I think positivity is a mindset. To reach this level of positivity, you have to come to terms with yourself and your traumas and what you've gone through. How in the world are you going to be at peace if you have all this stuff you're not addressing? So that's why we tell the stories of the trauma they've gone through, the, the past experiences. And we, we tell how they have transformed their lives to almost like a butterfly. Like all the stuff they've gone through and now they're thriving. 
because like they've addressed it, they tell their story and now they're doing something with the pain. Kind of like turning your pain into purpose. You know, and I love that the people we feature, they do that. And it's it's very inspiring to see people who have gone through really horrible times and now they're doing really well. So that's that's the magazine. We, I've been doing it for almost three years. May will be three years. We just continue to share stories of people who experience mental health and heal in different ways. I love that. Congratulations. That's a huge commitment. Thank you. And how has it grown? Is it just, do you have a bigger team? I know you're doing a lot of appearances places. Have any opportunities come your way from it that were unexpected? I'll just start saying the forum, 100%. <laughs> the main focus of my application in the for the forum was the magazine. And again, when I say it, it changed my life. It's not just a brand. It changed my life because it gave me so many connections. Every interview, I learned something different because every, every single person has such a powerful message to share. It's not like that we all share different things. I think that we all, for the most part, we, we say things that have been said before, you know? I think that's okay, though, you know? But like, but the way you say it and the message you have and the experience you have and the way you say it and seeing how you've actually applied that message is what makes it unique, you know? So that's what I would say is, you know, a lot of the stuff that I hear, I've heard before. But it's different, though, because I'm hearing it from them and their circumstances and what they experience. And also just the way they say it. You know, like some people say that we need to be mindful of our bodies and, you know, treat ourselves with kindness. That's a general thing I hear a lot, especially in the spaces I'm in. But the way someone said it was, <laughs> we need to be feeling our bodies because our bodies are like a desert if we don't feel it with nutrients or water and soil. I was like, I didn't even think about it like that. So I love that. that that's how That's how they see their body. And they fulfill it with the emotional nutrients they need, or else it's just going to be like a barren desert and not like this biodiverse place. Like, I think it is so cool how people, how they comprehend things and how they, you know, communicate them. So every interview I've, I've changed, I've gained personal connections to people I've gotten to work with, as well as professional, because like I said, I'm in the, I'm in like the PR space and a lot of PR firms and publicists reach out to me. So it's interesting to see how they work. And how I can translate it to the work that I do in PR. I started doing a PR freelance gig for myself. And like it started because of the magazine. Because someone we featured reached out to me. And they're like, I know you do PR. Could you be my publicist? And I was like, at the time, I was like, okay, here's what I think I can do for you. I'm still in school. So don't expect a lot from me. And that's why I kind of do it pro bono for some people. Because like I'm still learning and getting new to this. I'm even going to be helping a new person with PR that reached out. So I'm really excited about that. So yeah, the magazine has just opened so many doors, so many. And you asked about the team. Yeah. I mean, again, I started with one person, like my friend, and then we expanded to 40 writers, not all at once. These are writers that come in and out. We have five writers who come, we have five writers that come out. The reason why we have writers coming in and out is because unfortunately the work that they do is unpaid. So I always tell them your time and your work is so valuable, but I can't pay you. But this is an incredibly flexible position. So you do the work when you absolutely can. That's it. So if you can't get to an article in a month or two, that's how it is. And I give them that flexibility because they're not being paid. You know, so I try and give them as much opportunity as possible. So even I said, like, because I remember even having a conversation with someone who wanted to do an internship and the magazine. They, they didn't think they'd be able to do both. And I said, you can do both. Do the internship. Go for the internship. And you can do the magazine when you want. You, you come when you have the ability to. And I give them that to keep the opportunity there because I wanted to give these students opportunities. And also, again, I think their time is valuable. And I think that they should be going for a position that's paid or full-time. And that's why we have people coming in and out. It's not that I'm a horrible person to work with. <laughs> it's more on, I've recognized that, you know, they have other things going on in their life. And this is not their, this is not the first thing that they do. I think we should recognize that more because I have been in volunteer positions where they treated it where it was I needed to do everything for them my main focus should be on the volunteering and it kind of created a toxic work environment you know and I didn't really feel appreciated that I was volunteering <laughs> you know because now I, I definitely changed how I feel about volunteering like I love volunteering for organizations but I think some organizations need to be more flexible and appreciate their volunteers because without them they wouldn't have grown like they did. So I, I 100% appreciate the people that have worked for me. I give them anything that they need. If they need a, they need a reference, I will be the first one to write them a reference letter and say the best things because 
I appreciate what I've done and, and I recognize it's not about just about me. You know, when someone said, how did you, how did you grow your brand? And I, I always tell myself and them like my team too. Cause again, if I didn't have the team, I, we wouldn't have been able to write these really interesting articles and stories about people. And even though I, I do the actual interviews and they write the story, I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. So you know what they say? Like uh, it really takes a village. I, I believe that. So all the people that have worked for me, I appreciate everything that I, they've done. And I love seeing them succeed. I see some of them getting jobs and opportunities. And it just, it's a very nice thing to see. That's amazing. I'm glad that you support them in that way and that you even give that message over. I think that that is really important, especially like you said, if somebody is volunteering their time, like you should support them as well. Like how can it be win-win for both of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? Hmm. Well, you know, I kind of curious. You know, we talked about purpose. What would you say your dad's advice would be on finding your purpose? That's a great question. I love that. Okay. To be continued, <laughs> I will ask daddy and you will get a reply. I'm excited. Yeah. And sorry, that's such a kind of complicated question. <laughs> no, it's a fun one. And I don't think that people usually ask it. So I think that that's great. And it totally goes along with our conversation. So Yay. please let people know how they can find you. And Zane, this has been an amazing time. I've loved connecting with you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for the opportunity. I mean, you have my name. So my my social media handles are my name. Reach out. If you want to talk about entrepreneurship, starting a brand, getting PR press, whatever you want to talk about, or even finding an internship, I can speak on different things. So whatever you need, please reach out. Any way I can support. And then the magazine is Positive Vibes Magazine. And our handles are usually Positive Vibes Mag. And yeah, check it out. Check out the stories you write. And, you know, always open to writers. And we're always open to featuring powerful people. Whatever you are interested, please reach out on that. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you would want to say like about finding an internship or how to get press? So I didn't really actually speak on how to find internships, but for me, it can be very difficult. And I think what helped me the most was know your worth and know your value and know how to speak to it. I know a lot of students that will apply for positions that do not elevate their experiences. Like they'll say, oh, I was president of this organization. I'm like, why is this not on your resume? Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not like mean about it, but I'm like, you need to put this on your resume right now. I mean, I understand that they're not, they're not viewing that as valuable work experience, but I think employers will. And I know they're going to, I think that they're going to think, no, employers want the work experience. Sure, you have this experience, but if you can attest and you can speak highly on the work that you did and how it applies to the role, that's what they want to hear. And also, I, th I think it's impressive to be in a position and use that knowledge you gain for a role that may was may not necessarily even be about that. You know, like let's say you're going for a marketing role and you're president of an organization. They're not completely connected, but there's definitely some marketing principles you definitely gain being president that you can take to a job. So, I mean, I know people that have positions like being a barista or doing certain jobs that they don't think apply and they don't want to mention. I'm like, apply anyways, because you can speak on the stuff that you need for that role. Being a barista, you have to be organized, you have to be on your feet, you have to communicate. There's so many things that you can leverage for a role. So don't limit yourself to, oh, it's just a barista role. It's not just a barista role. It's There's so many components to being a barista. And it's it's great. It's everything. Customer service, it's marketing. It's, there's so many things that you can take from that. So I would say any job that you're doing, realize the importance of it. Don't downplay what you've learned make sure everywhere you go, you're always building a portfolio. That helped me the most. Because after, when I did my first like corporate American internship at General Motors, they had me create a portfolio of all the work that I did. So, and then I applied for an internship at NASA for the year. And then they, they reached out and they said, here, fill out these questions and we'll get back to you. And it was basically like interview questions, but, and I never done that. So when they said, what was your most rewarding workplace experience? And I said, General Motors. And here's a link to my resume, not my resume, here's a link to my portfolio so you can see all the work that I did. So instead of me just telling the story or telling why it was such a great work experience, you can also see the impact that I had. So I think having a portfolio is important and it doesn't need to be some fancy website because like employers, I don't know if they have time to go through your entire portfolio website, but having just a very simple Canva presentation that you can share can go a long way. And I think people forget to have a portfolio. So I think having a portfolio already will set you apart. So I think that's what helps me. And also leveraging your network. You know, people you know, like if you even find someone on LinkedIn that has done an internship that you want to do, talk to them, reach out to them. Do not, again, the worst they can say is no. But again, I feel like 
asking to talk to someone is just another way of pitching yourself. You're not necessarily pitching yourself for the job, but you're pitching yourself for a chance to talk to someone who's done the position, who can give you insights. So again, don't act like you need to know everything on your own because you definitely won't. I didn't know anything, but I found mentors and people that were going to help me that pushed me forward. So, and if you want to talk about mentors too and how to find them, I can help with that too. You are a star. I mean, you are really good at pitching yourself. I feel like you are way beyond your years. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, amazing work. I'm very impressed. Thank you for bringing such value. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. So if you pitch yourself well enough, you can end up in the White House. Isn't that unbelievable? Anyway, Zane does a really just a brilliant job, shows that he's modest, willing to learn, and he's willing to document everything that he does, trying to tell people that everything that we do is part of your building blocks, is part of your foundation. Everything that you show that you can do and you document it and you make it look good, it, it's all worthwhile. And even some of the things that you did in, in school, whether it was in student council or if it was playing on the uh, volleyball team and anything that you did with the school newspaper, these are all things that you should be proud of and you build from it. But look at what he's done with his website and then opening up a magazine and how he's able to pitch himself. And then obviously he's trying to show others that they can do it too. But he has uh, people that have shown him how to really make a better website. He's been fortunate enough to get some terrific internships. And when you get the opportunity to do it at General Motors or at a General Electric or any large company, that these are really just invaluable internships to have. And if you put your all into it and you build a portfolio of what you've done and how you've helped down the road, it's going to pay off. We're doing that too, baby. We're building our portfolio. Look at this body that's of work right. that we've put together. Well, that's what it's about. But you see, he's also giving you incentive to try very hard to understand, put yourself on as many platforms as you can and to continue to improve and spice it up all along the way. To have an active column or an active magazine or an active blog and to keep people talking about it and keeping active and just keep doing it is really the key that he's giving you is keep doing it. And that's what we'd really like to share with our listeners also on the Better Call Daddy show is get into motion and keep doing it and keep doing it. And the more you practice, the more that you listen to others, the more that you participate with others, the, build, the building blocks are being formed. And with the right foundation and you build yourself up, that's how heights are possible. That's where you can reach for the stars and reach for the sky is that you have to be able to do it where you build yourself up by being around people and as many as you can and getting your message out. And even when you think that it's not important, recording everything that you're doing and building on it and learning how to do that is just as important as well. Oh, yeah? You still having fun? Sure. And those people that are always looking to learn and to do better and not where they know it all are the people that have a chance to continue to succeed. And again, as we've said on previous episodes, it's most of us overcoming adversity. Most of us learn more when we have a setback or we don't necessarily do as, as well as we think on a test. And by then revisiting it, and learning how to do better at it. Just because you fail your driver's license the first time, that doesn't mean you should give up. You just have to practice and learn how to do a little better parallel parking and go at it again. And when you get your license the second time, you say to yourself, hey, you know that? I thought it would be impossible after failing the first time, but I was able to do it. And it maybe even means more to you when you accomplish it the second time. It is pretty remarkable if you could do something amazing twice. That's right. It's all in the cards, but as you see, encouragement, ha having people there to catch you when you fall is very helpful, but having people that reach out to you and mentor you, don't we then have a responsibility to also help mentor others that we keep, we keep the ball running, rolling along? I mean, I know it makes me proud if somebody that has worked for me goes on to something better, and I've seen you do that for others too. Absolutely. The nice thing is, is that we ran a factory for close to 50 years, certainly over 45 years. 
And a lot of the people that worked at that factory have gone on to become their own entrepreneurs, their own, and have become business leaders themselves. Isn't that really something that we were able to have an environment of not only growth in our company, but when they left the company, they continued that projection even higher and higher. I think that's wonderful. He wanted to know, how does one really find his or her purpose? Isn't that what we just discussed? It's to try to find things that you're interested in and get good at it and practice it and be proud of anything that you do. Even, uh, you know what my dad would say, even if you're the garbage man, be proud at what you do, whatever it is, hold your head up. That's probably uh, the way to relate to purpose as well, is that you want to be the best that you can be no matter what. Find what you love, find things that you think that you're good at and, and go for it. Hopefully that there's a mentor or schooling or a course that you can take where you can show that you can continue to make improvement. Do what you love. That's part of purpose. Also, be able to say, hey, I am trying to be the best that I can be, but I want to do it in a, in a manner where I love it and I want people around me to know that they're to help them and they're there to help me and where we can all try to see if we can figure out a way to have forward thinking always, and not where we whine and cry over things. Let's face the adversity, let's overcome them, and stay in motion and keep doing it. And that's part of our purpose. Whatever we want to actually specifically do is something that every individual has to find themselves. But the formula is the same for all of us, is let's find what we love to do, and let's be the best that we can be. I love that. And I feel like you've always encouraged me to follow what I love doing. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.